Critical Care Practitioner Podcast number 20. Welcome to another episode of Critical Care Practitioner Podcast. My name is Jonathan Downham and this is the podcast to inform, debate and discuss all things critical care, wherever in your hospital that might be. Get ready. We have far too many patients and far too few traditional medically trained doctors. And we appear to be at no point in the future uh, able to actually provide enough doctors to actually see the patients that are actually coming through. Hello, 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 and welcome to this next episode of the Critical Care Practitioner podcast. Firstly, I just need to apologise for the sound. I'm actually recording this at work in the office and it's a little bit echoey, so it may sound a bit different from normal. I'm not going to say very much about this interview. It speaks for itself. I think we should just get straight on and hear it and perhaps we'll talk about it afterwards. So here we go. Right then, I'm back with Mr Swan. Um, Gary and I chatted on episode number 15 about the practitioner role in the emergency department and the exciting plans ahead. Um, since then I've moved to the emergency department as many of you probably know and I'm having a great time but Gary has moved his plans further forward and really we just wanted to meet and have a chat and just update exactly what the future holds because it is quite exciting so Gary's got a big day today and he's going to tell us about that so Gary what's what's happening today why and where's it going to take us? Um, we've uh we submitted a, um, a strategy, well, we developed a strategy for uh, ACP, Advanced Clinical Practitioner Development, and we've been doing that over this last kind of five, six weeks, and um, we presented that strategy to uh, one of the senior boards within the trust and got unanimous support to actually take this further forward and actually develop a business case to support the development of advanced clinical practitioners across the trust based on the experience that we've had and the success that we've had within the emergency departments at Heart of England and the emergency directorate. We've developed a business case which is going to look at developing, in the first instance, uh, probably one cohort of 25 trainee ACPs, and that'll be across a number of directorates. And those directorates will be chosen based on a number of factors, and it could be around performance, it could be around quality, it could be around flow. And it, it could be around current workforce issues, principally the, the areas that we're going to concentrate on, and this is yet to be finalised, but it would appear that we'll, we'll look very positively at intermediate care because we need to work differently and we need to stop admitting as many patients as we do. We're going to look at frailty because that's the majority of patients that we see. We're going to look at orthogeriatrics. Uh, because they're problematic in terms of actually getting patients through their journey in a, in a, in a quality way. And um, a, a couple of other areas that um, um, aren't going to be no surprises, and principally one of those areas is the, the acute medical units. We've already got ACP trainees on uh, AMU at um, Hollands, and um, 
they've had a really, really positive effect um, on the patient's journey going through acute medicine, and, and we want to um, just expand that group as well. So um, a number of areas. It's going to be really exciting. We're, we're hoping that we're going to get support for the actual um, business case today. Uh, there will be an infrastructure to support the ACPs, uh, the trainee and new trainee cohort, um, and that will consist of a clinical director for advanced practice, um, which is going to be a band nine post. And we're going to have a number of uh, very senior uh, ACP consultants. Now, we're, we're looking at a very different future here at Heft, um, and where we actually value the non-medical um, clinician group from trainee ACP through to very senior ACP consultant. And they'll be actually remunerated for, for that level of expertise and the influence um, on quality flow um, development um, of, of staff within the, um, the trust. So we, we're turning what other people are probably disinvesting in, in uh, on its head and we're actually investing wholesale in, in the alternative non-medical um, clinician. Just a number of questions come out of that, really. you Just to go back to the start of the conversation, you said that um, the ACP role was very successful. Um, I know we perhaps spoke about this um, in episode 15, uh, if anyone wants to go back and listen to that one. But by you say you said successful, how are we measuring that? What, what, in what way are they successful? Um, in, in almost every way that we've actually looked at, that the... Um the effectiveness, the efficacy of the actual role within the emergency director, and we've had them since 2006, January the 1st, 2006, um, and every time we've really looked at safety, so whether it could be around prescribing, um, if it's around patient episodes, and um, so a number of patients seen per annum, if it's uh, around remit of patients, scope of patients seen, every time we compare the ACP um, with the um, the equivalent medical role, which is the middle grade equivalent role, they come out as good as uh, or better. We we did a very large piece of work around and it consisted of about three hundred thousand patient episodes we looked at, and they actually uh, see a thousand more patients per annum than the average middle grade um, equivalent from a medical perspective. Now we know we're not comparing like with like, so we know that um, it's probably unfair to. To look at the average ACPs, a permanent member of staff, against the average um, medical middle grade member of staff, who could be a relatively transient individual or a locum, mixed in with that, obviously, where they're going to be more permanent middle grade um, staff. So we've got lots of evidence, if you like, where we've actually looked at the comparables, and every time we've done that, they've come out very positively. So, so I can say with some confidence within the emergency department. We are developing a cadre of individuals who who are as good as, if not better, in some instances than the, the traditional model. But they're going to be because they're they're more permanent member of staff. That you know you invest in those individuals and you retain them. You retain them and you you have organisational knowledge that's retained. And you don't have to keep going around the same loop of um, investing in staff and then they go and then you have to do it again on a cyclical basis. So the, the, the really positive thing about employing the ACP is that you get to, um, or you reduce um, the, the effect of system relearning. So currently in a traditional model, we actually force system relearning every four months, every six months, 
or every year depending on the actual cyclical change of trainees. What we're suggesting, if we can actually reduce the impact of trainees and if we can reduce the impact of um, locums, um, one, we can save money, but two, we can actually increase quality, safety, flow, because we've got people who are actually working in the system on a constant basis. Do, do we just go to the um, ACP. I know you're presenting, uh, you have presented. Just just tell me what you presented to the board last time. What story did you tell them that sold it to them? The key influence or the key um, drivers for this are, are around our current traditional, well, we haven't got a current traditional model, but the current traditional model um, within the NHS is, is very medically dominated from a clinician perspective. And it's we, we, we are at a point now in time where we have far too many patients and far too few traditional medically trained doctors. And we appear to be at no point in the future uh, able to actually provide enough doctors to actually see the patients that are actually coming through, particularly through emergency and urgent care. But every speciality are, are having issues around um, recruitment and retention of staff. If you look within the College of Emergency Medicine, we seem to be actually developing a cadre of uh, medical individuals who, who go and work in Australia. So we're, we're training people to actually go and work into an, in a different country. What we're, what we're finding with the ACP is that we can actually train them and then, then obviously because we've invested in them significantly, so we actually pay for all their developments around their clinical master's degree and everything you would expect a clinician to have to work at middle grade level, we actually invest that in the individual. And because we invest in the individual, they're more likely to actually stay because they feel as though somebody actually cares about them and about their development, which we obviously um, do. Yeah. Okay. Now, in terms of what we presented, what we presented was a um, a story around um, the future can be different, but it, it will require a little bit of a financial hit to start with. But we're confident, based on the experience that we've had with the emergency directorate, that within within eighteen months, two years, you will get a return on your investment in terms of the number of patients to see that by that individual. They're not going to be working at middle grade level until four, five years. We can't do any sooner than that because if we could do it, then medicine would do it. So it, it, it is a this is a, a long term solution. So you know you know there will be people in, within our trust who are actually saying the ACP is going to solve this and it's going to solve it by next year. The ACP role that will expand across the trust won't solve any issues um, within the next year. We may be lucky to be able to attract some really really uh, senior staff um, to to work. In, in, in directors where they'd be potentially wanting to actually develop for many years or we'll be able to attract individuals from different areas into, into specific directors who are very experienced so it's not an all or nothing there were some people who are able to actually get there in, in, in a quicker way but the, you know, we're still looking at a three four five year cycle to get the people to the level that we that we want them to, to be able to work at where they are f fully autonomous who can see, treat, admit, discharge, refer. If, if we look at some of the actual things that we're expecting to, to do, one of the, the most exciting areas that we we're actually looking at is, is actually having ACP on base wards. We, we know that you know, we've got probably a Ferrari at the front end processing patients into the system and we've got a Morris Minor at the back end of the system. So if we can actually uh, remove the, 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 the obstacles and the issues around flow at the back end of the hospital and look at how we can effectively sustain proactive discharge planning, um, I think the ACPs can have a profound effect 
towards the end of the patient's hospital journey. So I think that the fact that we'll have base ward ACPs and we've got intermediate um, area uh, ACPs, ACPs on AMU, I think it'll it'll just um, improve uh, exponentially the the actual um, the flow throughout the trust. And with that, if you can improve flow, you maintain quality, maintain safety, you've got a, a system that will then hit the quality metrics, which unfortunately as a trust, we're not actually hitting. Um, and that's a, it's a very sad place to be uh, because a, a lot of the people who were here when it was really, really good and performing really, really well are still here. So it's not that we've had really good people and now they're not so good. It's just that we haven't got control over flow and we need to actually achieve that and we need to achieve that in very, very soon. Okay. Just, I'm going to play devil's advocate a little bit here, Gary, because people have asked me these kinds of questions and I, I've answered them in the way I see appropriate, but it'd be nice to have your thoughts on this as well. Where are these staff coming from? We say we're taking uh, mainly nurses, I think, but we're talking about paramedics and pharmacists and people, physiotherapists as well. Are we bleeding other services of the gifted and talented staff to their detriment or are we putting people in place that would otherwise do something else if we didn't offer the opportunities to them no i don't i, I don't necessarily think we are it's not an all or nothing it goes back to you know we, we will have people within the trust who can develop into these roles so we've got clinical nurse specialist role who's who probably who they perceive and people around them perceive there to be a glass ceiling around what they can do what we want to do is to actually reduce the actual variability uh, across the trust so we have one standard so if i if if i understand what a ct3 is i understand what a ct3 is i, I you know a lot of people don't understand the, the levels that we can achieve with 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 acps so what we want to do as if in the future here is to actually standardize development um, and so people know what they're expecting and then therefore are more confident to actually invest in this type of of, of staff um, that which you don't get with clinical nurse specialists, and to some extent, you, you're not going to get with your physician associates. So, the, the ACP is a, a long-term in, in investment in, in an individual who may have, if you don't do that, or don't have that investment, they're much more likely to actually leave and go to another hospital who are actually providing better opportunity, more more cash or whatever to actually do the job that they're, they're doing. So there'll be some roles that will actually disinvest in and, and there'll be opportunities for those to actually transfer over to the ACP role. There will be people that are gifted and talented from directorates who, who are doing traditional nursing roles or senior sister roles um, that potentially would want to come down this road. So that may have some impact. But we have to remember is that if you if you've got a senior member of staff who actually comes down the ACP road, they, they, they don't forget everything else they've ever done. I mean, you're not starting with somebody who's a blank canvas. You've got somebody who's really, really experienced who can have a, a profound effect, even though they're doing a different role on quality, on safety, on, on flow. And and, and there, are, there are a lot of people in the organisation who are really frustrated that they can't do the next thing. Um, despite the fact that they, to a great extent, they probably hold the hand of junior medical colleagues and, and basically tell them how to do it and when to do it. Um, this just enables them to actually be able to do it themselves in, in time. But again, it's not it's not a short-term solution. It's something that will actually occur. Yeah, and I think one of, one of my answers to that question when I hear it as well is that 
surely putting people's in, in people in this position of power is perhaps the wrong word, but putting in these people in this position where they can develop themselves also means that they're in a greater position to develop others yeah. within that service. So just because I'm an ACP now doesn't mean that I'm never going to be there to develop the nursing staff. And in fact, it gives me more power, more uh, knowledge, more educational backup to be able to empower those nurses to move forward mm. with their service as mm. well as my own. Being an ACP doesn't mean that you forget your roots, and, and I think actually it will help you develop those those staff as well. And I, th- I think nursing itself is going to change as a consequence. Nursing isn't going to remain the same. Nurses are not what they were when I started nursing back in 1987. The the role itself has changed dramatically since then, and I think the advent of the advanced practitioner is going to have a major impact on the if you, if you look at as well. absolutely, I mean, if it's t- to for me, if we look at who sustains change within our organisation or made organisations, if you look at change and how it's sustained, for the most part, it's the nursing teams and the other professionals who are sustaining that change. Um, so, for us to actually invest in a, in a cadre of individuals, it absolutely makes sense. It's a no-brainer to actually do what we're doing. Now, we will be the first trust in the country to actually go down a, a, a very scaled route for, for the ACP. Um, so, um, uh, yeah, I mean, certainly, if, if, if you want to look at what we've done for, for, for staff who are in the department, again, this is this is not trying to be something they're not. So, you know, it, absolutely what you've said around investing in, in, in traditional nursing roles here. You know, you can pick out the ones who have got potential to either go down a very traditional um, senior staff nurse, junior sister, sister matron role, who will actually excel at that. And you've also got a group who will probably want to go down a more uh, clinician-focused route. But for me, if I I was starting in the the NHS um, now, I think it's a really, really exciting time. Yeah. Um, But you need to weigh up the really exciting time, the really exciting opportunities, with the tsunami of patients that will continue to actually um, turn up at, at hospitals requiring quick, whether they whether they need to be there um, through need or because it's just a, um, a, an option that's easy for them to actually do as opposed to try and actually um, get a, a primary care appointment with a general practitioner. Yeah, I think that's important, isn't it? Because I think one of the things, we're all very excited about the possibilities for the future, but I think the tsunami of patients, as you say, is something that we've always got to bear in mind as well, that that's essentially why we're developing the service we're developing, to ensure that we can progress. And It is a tsunami of patients. It's something I've become very aware of since working in the emergency department. I was working clinically yesterday, and there was a tsunami of patients. And we do need to make sure that our focus is not just on our own development, but make sure that that development mm. works well within the NHS mm. and with the other specialties as well. Unfortunately, when you've got no flow, the, the, the tsunami doesn't just come and then go. If you've got no flow within your department, the tsunami hits and then continues to hit because all it's hitting is a brick wall. Yeah. So it's not that you know you, you have a period where you, you know if you work really hard, you know the, the department will become empty. Um, I used to work in a system back in the 80s and 90s where if you work really hard, you can empty your department. That's just not the case now. No, I mean, the standard is you work hard anyway, isn't it? You have to work hard because of the patients coming through, but sometimes it makes no difference, and that can be a little bit dispiriting. It's also very exhausting for, for people like yourself, Jonathan, that you've, you've come from an area where, you've, t- to some extent, you've got some control over your work and your workload. 
in the ED, it sometimes can be really overwhelming. So again, you know, going back to how we develop the ACPs, is it is um, it is sometimes a baptism of fire. It it is a really demanding role. It's not an easy role. You've got so many different assessments to do over so many years. Mm. But it's worth it because when you see some of your very senior colleagues who are actually doing the ACP role, they're they are absolutely some of the best guys I've ever worked with in my whole career, spanning thirty two, thirty four years. Yeah. So it's just it's just amazing how how you see these guys develop, and they seem to do it in a very short period of time. Um, yeah. Uh, so. I think I, to, is that about picking the right people? Yeah, I mean, the, the, there is an argument, and some people will say, you know, you know, Gary, you've got to be careful that you know you, you don't reduce the, the quality of the people that you that you can you know, attract to to this role, and there'll be some low lying fruit. And, but I think people look back and say, wasn't this a golden era of of, of, of being able to attract some really good quality people? And I don't know if I actually buy into that. I think. There are always going to be people who will be attracted to this type of role and really good quality people. What we need to actually figure out is who are the ones that really, really care and who are the ones that are worth investing in. That's, that's what we've got to do. Um, and and, and that's, the, that's the key for me. When I'm interviewing people to do this type of role, um, you know, I don't really ask them a lot of waffle. What I ask them is, do you care? If you do care, prove it to us. It, it makes me smile slightly when we say that we're going to deplete the workforce of quality staff. I, I think that's absolute nonsense. I think what it, what's essential is that we continue to promote the the um, job spec to others who are coming forward to potentially do that, so that they're inspired to want to do it. Because there there are so many quality staff coming into nursing now. I meet them all the time. Student nurses I've spoken to who are ambitious. They want to move forward. They see the future and the essential thing. And it's something you always say and something that's always stuck with me is the first and foremost, do they care? Mm -hmm. And the ones that are really, really good, it's a common trait amongst them is that first and foremost, they want to care. That's what's important. Yeah. To I mean, them. We've got examples already that, and I'll, I'll Sean Atkins uh, was a student nurse who was here, who's now a, um, um, an ACP at the Children's. And we've got um, Amy Wright who was a student nurse at the same time, we knew that they'd go, both go down the ACP route. Um, both of them probably didn't know at that time that they probably would. But you could tell, even as junior um, st students and then junior staff nurses, that they've got things in abundance that some of us guys haven't got. So you could see those those aspects of, of, of how they worked as a nurse that, that was so attractive to, to this type of role. And you, you know they're going to be the leaders of the future. And it really, um, you know, it is a really, really interesting journey to see, see these guys uh, develop over time. Uh, but it, it does, you know, if, if we hadn't had this opportunity for them, what would they have done? They would have gone and worked elsewhere. So yeah. I don't know if I buy into the, to, to the argument that you're going to deplete the, the, the workforce. No, me neither. The, the other question that occurred to me as well is as far as the, um, obviously there's big opportunities for people here. You talked about intermediate care, you talked about frailty, orthogeriatrics. How ready are they for this or is there a lot of infrastructure that needs to go in place first? In terms of um, developing a, a very expansive group of, of, of trainee ACPs, there's a lot of work that, we needs to be, that needs to be done in the next few months. Um, and that's why we're actually taking on a, a very senior team to actually develop the the infrastructure for you know so if 
if, if we look at our, our current assessment criteria for, for developing ACPs, it's not really fit for purpose and if, if I'm coming from intermediate care, if I'm coming for mm -hmm. geriatric. So the assessments need to change. But it's also the governance around the role if we're expanding this across the trust, which is then reliant on HR and, and, and recruitment and retention and actually getting, getting people into this, you know, tracks into the system and then getting them in as, 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 as soon as possible. So there is a lot of work have a lot of work that needs to be done uh, to make sure that it's totally fit for purpose, which will incorporate um, you know major changes within the, um, the the masters that we actually do at Warren Medical School, and it will mean developing some kind of combined roles between the university and um, and and and, um, and HEF. So, are there clinicians out there? Um uh, presumably there are who are supporting this idea and are going to help you drive it forward. I've met um, quite a few clinical directors who um, have got no other options. Right. And it's not that they're coming to this because, well, you know, it, it's a, you know it, it is a little bit of a forced choice situation. There is no other plan B. They the, the cannot attract quality doctors. They can attract not so good doctors, mm. um, but that's not solving the issues that they have around quality, safety, and flow, um, and patient experience. So, well, I think we'll see developments in the future, whether it'll be you know in orthogeriatrics, whether it'll be in frailty, but we'll see um, a very different future where we will have um, ACPs who actually work across the whole spectrum of acuity, exactly the same way as we do in the ED. If we can develop ACP-based ED based ACPs, um, who can see any patient of any acuity across the whole spectrum of conditions that come through the door, then it's a no-brainer that we can develop in probably more quickly in areas that don't have such a wide, mm. wide spectrum. Mm. So, you know, the first cohort will concentrate on these areas, but subsequently it could be the cardiology team, it could be you know, other, other teams as well. So really exciting time yeah absolutely um just to um go back to the actual timelines because i think this is something people might be uh thinking about whilst they listen to this is in your head what is the timeline now what is going to happen let's assume Indeed. that yeah let's assume that everything goes ahead what what will happen <coughs> and when do you think if we get support today, I think we'll be joined by adverts out um, for the uh, infrastructural posts um, uh, almost immediately. Um, so uh, within the next week or so. By infrastructural posts, you mean? The um, clinical director for advanced practice. There will be some senior um, educational um, ACP consultant posts. Uh, that will be an AD. And um, they will go out almost immediately. We, we need to start the recruitment of, of, of 25 trainees immediately. So it, it is about... And what band will those trainees be at, do you think? It's the same as the, 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 the current structure. It'll be a band seven as a trainee and then uh, 8A um, once they've actually gone through the programme. Now, if we've got really experienced people who are already on um, higher banding, then we, we'll look at every individual on an individual basis. So like yourself, you didn't come in as a band seven, you came in as a band eight A. But it, it goes back to um, you've probably financially taken a hit um, coming to a different directorate where you don't do nights because there's less supervision, where you do less weekend out of hours work. Um, but, but it is about 
deferred gratification. You know there's a bright future and, and therefore it's a short term, probably a short term pain for a long term gain. I don't think, I, I may be wrong here, but I don't genuinely think that anybody who's going to come into this post is just doing it for a financial viewpoint. I think the ones that we want to invest in are the ones who are doing it because they love the job, they're excited by the prospects and being able to expand their own development is first and foremost their priority. It is, but you have to balance that with the increase in responsibility that you could be the first, the last person to see a patient who comes in through a journey within this trust and that is a diff very different level of responsibility than, than probably your post previously within yeah. critical care. You, you, you take full responsibility because you are as autonomous as you, as you can be um, within, the, within the role itself. Um, so th there are huge expectations and for me, yes, it's, it's great to have individuals who do it because they love doing it um, and I love nursing and if I wanted to be extremely rich. I'd never come into nursing. Um, but you have to balance that, that desire to, to, to do your best with financial remuneration for, for that level of responsibility. Okay. I think it goes hand in hand. So let's say there's people out there listening to this and thinking, you know, that sounds like that's for me. Um, that's something I'm definitely interested in. What qualities do they need to bring to the interview for you to think, mm, you might be the right kind of person here? Um, uh, for me, it really is a simple thing. Do you care? Um, and you know, I can I can teach all the other stuff, but I can't teach you how to care. So if you can convince me that you're bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, and you care, you'll get taken on. You know, the, the rest of the stuff around how, how to, you know, do well at master's level, to to write assignments, to do well in NOSCIs, and develop a portfolio of practice, and all that, we can teach all of that stuff. Mm. Yeah, we can teach systems approaches. You can't teach people to care. No. So fundamentally, that that's what I that's what I look at, and you know, it, there are very few opportunities now where we can actually get people who've got everything. So, you know, it is about saying to individuals, we can, we can provide a bespoke program in exactly the same way that we've done it for you. Yeah. That to some extent you're going through, you, you've got an opportunity now, Jonathan, where you can want to spend a year on yourself and your own development and expand your, your skill set and not forget what you've done within critical care, but you for probably for the first time in your career is, it's, the, the pressure is not on you. To deliver patients all the time, it's about you be able to step you know, back for, for two paces and actually say, "Yeah, I don't understand that, but I've got time to actually look at what what, the, what that is." And and uh, that to me is a big message I want to send to anyone who's listening to this and thinking, "What's in it for me?" And and certainly, what is what's in it for me personally is exactly what you said. It's time to develop myself. I've always said my mantra has always been, if somebody is willing to offer me a course. But give me some time to learn something. I do a lot in my own time, but if they're going to give it in my work time, you don't say no. You bite their hand off because as you go through one door, several more will open. And if there's people out there listening to this now who think, should I do this? You'd be a fool not to, quite yeah. frankly. I mean, for me also, Jonathan, it is around that there should not be any perception now there's a glass ceiling to your development. So you know, could could you or will you be, um, you know, a, a lead ACP and a consultant ACP of the future? Yes, obviously you will. Um, and you'll go as far as you want to go. Yeah. 
um, there is no glass ceiling. Yeah. You know, and uh, will we retain or try our best to actually retain uh, gifted and talented individuals? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's something I think um, the, the new development will entitle us to do, to go out and find those kind of people and actively seek them out and actively develop them earlier rather than later, which I know we're already doing, but, you know, to find some money to say, right, you are somebody we want. This is the path mm. where we're going to put you down so that you're ready to step on the first mm. rung of the ladder as soon as we can. Yeah. So. I think also um, we, we, we have to remember that what we'll probably get today from uh, the executive management uh, board is a, 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 a green light to develop the first cohort. And we've actually described it as the first cohort because if we don't get any um, support for the rest of the potential program that we'll suggest it, which is going to be at least 150 ACPs over the next five, five years or three to five years, um, I, I think that this will not succeed. I think you've done enough of plugging fingers, putting fingers in holes, really, haven't you? Yeah. And this this is about building the dam rather than just sort of propping up the old one, isn't yeah. it, really? Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, okay. So I hope you got some value from that. Fantastically exciting project coming in the very near future, as you heard. If you are one of those people who think you might be in the frame for a job in one of these new roles, then you know what to do. Keep a lookout on the job front. They're going to be out soon. We want the brightest and the best, and if you are fulfilling the role, then come and work with us, it'd be fabulous. I think there's a great future here at the heart of England. We've got a great team of practitioners already, and it's just going to become a bigger and a better team. So, fantastic. I am also going to, in the show notes for this episode, put the consultation document that Gary originally published a few months ago. He didn't want me to release it too early, but he's after the interview today said that I can put that on the website so there's a PDF file going on the show notes which provides a lot of useful background as to why we are producing these new roles uh, and the benefits we think they're going to bring some of the savings that they will produce as well and obviously some of the improvements to the flow that we're hoping they will create as well as the potential job structure for those of you who are interested so very 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 excited what else have I been up to in the meantime? Still working very hard in the emergency department and boy do these people work hard. Um, I have started to produce a emergency medicine newsletter which I'm trying to collate some of the more up-to-date research and articles based around emergency medicine as that's my new specialty. I'm basing it on uh, Rob McSweeney's newsletter for those of you who get it, Critical Care Newsletter. Mine is nowhere near as extensive as his. His is absolutely brilliant. Mine's a very much smaller version of his. But if you wanted to sign up for it, go to my website at criticalcarepractitioner.co.uk and you can sign for it in the sidebar. If you want to sign up for the other newsletter as well, I'm getting an ever-growing email list of people who I communicate with regularly via my newsletter. I'm hoping they're finding it of value. Christmas is coming soon. The Christmas episode, I'm hoping, will be out sometime around the 19th or 20th of December. It's a slightly different one. Um, I hope you will enjoy that and look forward to it. I'm not going to say too much more. I think this episode has probably been long enough. Um, I hope you've enjoyed it and got great value from it. And I'll see you a little bit nearer Christmas. Bye-bye.